Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. From the Carlson Center in Fairbanks, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Families, grassroots leaders, tribal officials, and advocates are among those raising awareness of missing and murdered indigenous people to keep the issue in the eyes of the public. Lack of data and numerous contributing factors, such as high rates of violence against Native women, have led tribal leaders and policymakers to call MMIW a crisis in the United States. State lawmakers are studying the issue and looking at federal legislation as a means to help address some of the challenges in Alaska. While families and advocates say they're not giving up on efforts to find the missing and seek justice for their murdered relatives. Join us for a discussion right after the news. Reporting from the 2019 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Fairbanks, Alaska, I'm Trip Kraus. Delegates from rural Alaska addressed issues on public safety during a pair of panels that featured the State Department of Public Safety, Alaska State Troopers, and other officials. New Stoyahawk Elder Wally Gus summed up the convention's themes from a delegate floor during a public safety panel. It's we who are responsible, and we're looking at this at the wrong way. You know, we want others to do for us when we can do it for ourselves. Good government becomes... Good government comes from our people, from our hearts. Alaska-driven comes from our people, from our hearts. A number of draft convention resolutions seek to address issues affecting Alaska's public safety. State and federal officials pledged to support rural Alaska in combating some of these public safety issues. U.S. Attorney General William Barr announced that the Justice Department has awarded $42 million in grants to help rural Alaska cope with the high rates of crime and violence. And these funds will support a wide variety of programs aimed at improving law enforcement, public safety, infrastructure, and services for, for victims of crime. During an address interrupted by protesters, Governor Mike Dunleavy promised to increase the number of troopers statewide with a focus on rural Alaska as well as support VPSO programs. We will have funding available in the budget to fund every vacant position that an employer needs to fill in this program, and we will continue to work with stakeholder groups to continually improve our public safety outcomes in rural Alaska. Alaska's longest-serving state senator received a top award at the convention. KYUK's Christy Schellenberger talked with Senator Lyman Hoffman from Bethel about his Citizen of the Year Award and future plans. Bethel had a big day at the first day of the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. The 2019 Iditarod champion Pete Kaiser had just delivered his keynote speech. Let's bring our best team to the starting line and race towards a bright future for our great state. Thank you. And then another Bethel icon stepped up on stage to receive AFN Citizen of the Year Award. Senator Lyman Hoffman. My definition of a good citizen is someone that sees something and wants to make it better. Hoffman has served for more than three decades and is hitting his 33rd year. He's the longest serving state lawmaker and chairs the Senate Finance Committee. One of a handful of Alaska Native lawmakers serving, Hoffman is considered a powerful advocate for rural Alaska. 
Hoffman pointed out other Alaska Native senators who have mentored him, like John Sackett and Frank Ferguson. And um, I've learned a lot from them. Uh, the most important is to keep your word when you give your word. And Hoffman says he's not just the senator for Southwest Alaska. Many rural Alaska Native communities view him as their senator. He was gifted the Athabascan Chief Necklace, the highest honor for a leader within the interior. Hoffman urges aspiring politicians to start at the local level. He spent seven years as Bethel city manager before jumping into state politics. That experience came in handy as he served on the Senate Finance Committee for years and battled Governor Mike Dunleavy over the budget this past year. And he took a moment to congratulate Pete Kaiser, whose wife is Hoffman's niece. I believe, and I've heard it from other people, that he is going to be the best representative as a champion of the Iditarod that the state has ever seen. Did you cry a little? No, not that, not that sentimental. <laughs> Hoffman is getting ready for another session in Juneau. He has three years left in his term, and Hoffman says he might not hang up his hat just yet. Reporting from the AFN annual convention in Fairbanks, I'm Christy Schallenberger. Thanks to Liz Ruskin, the Washington, D.C. correspondent with Alaska Public Media, and Christy Schellenberger from KYUK. In Fairbanks, Alaska, I'm Trip Krause. The AFN Newscast, produced by KNBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. Funding by Arctic Slope Regional Corporation. Rasmussen Foundation, ConocoPhillips, the Siri Foundation, ExxonMobil Alaska, South Central Foundation, Manilik Association, Chalista Corporation, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Cook Inlet Lending Center, and Foundation Health Partners. This is a production of KNBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. From Fairbanks, I'm Antonia Gonzalez missing and murdered indigenous people. It's a tough and sensitive topic for many tribal communities, but families and advocates are making sure to keep their missing loved ones and murdered relatives in the eyes of the public and policymakers. The MMIW movement has gained traction in the United States in recent years to raise awareness and call on lawmakers, law enforcement, and tribal leaders to take action. Also, I'd like to let our listeners be aware that this is a tough topic and some of the comments in the show may trigger emotions. And joining me now are Cynthia Erickson and uh, Jody Potts. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having us. And uh, Cynthia, please introduce yourself. Uh, My name is Cynthia Erickson and um, originally from the village of Ruby and I live in Tanana now for 33 years. And uh, Jody, please introduce yourself. Good morning. Um, I'm Jody Junabi Potts. I'm Hanguchin Athabaskan from Eagle Village. And when we talk about this and look at this issue, there are a number of contributing factors. And one of the things that's often talked about is the high rates of violence um, against Native women. And in recent years, young people have stepped up and taken this issue and called on um, their families and leaders to talk about this and, and to make it not such a taboo topic. 
And we were here in 2013, both of you were here in 2013 at the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention and the Elders and Youth Conference when seven kids from the interior village of Tanana got up on the stage and the stage we're looking at right mm -hmm. now that some performers are at and they responded to physical, sexual, substance abuse and, ha and, and talked about how it plagues the communities. I'm here to help those who hurt like I hurt. Male, female, young, old, gay, or straight, we all hurt, no more. I'm not here because I hate my family. I love my family to the moon and back. That's why I'm here, well, here for the future of my little cousins and my children I'll have in the future. Break the silence, no more violence, it's emotional, mental, or physical. Rape and molestation stops today. And here's a little more of that exchange at uh, AFN in Fairbanks six years ago. Something bad happened to me when I was younger, and I didn't want them to want it to happen to them. So I would stay home and send my sisters out to spend a night with friends whenever they were drinking. Sometimes I would wake up to drunk people laughing and or sometimes I would wake up to a zero below house. No, nobody wants to feel alone. And both of you were on the stage when this um, took place a few years ago. And Cynthia, I'll start with you. Uh, you mentored those kids who mm -hmm. spoke up. Uh, share your thoughts and reflect on what we heard. You know, with um, we originally started out with 4-H, with which is a great, great uh, operation. Um, but it's hard when you're dealing with issues that people don't understand and um, so I started my grandma's house uh, my own nonprofit and working with kids and our motto is we are the ones we've been waiting for and that's that was the beginning of opening the door and no more secrets no more violence no more silence and and I believe that's that's the change that's where we start and you know I get just emotional listening to that because it's tough I mean it's hard when you're talking about 10 year olds that are suicidal and it's it's a struggle and you know by the kids you know I always tell them you you write from your broken heart you don't dot your I's and cross your T's you write from your broken heart and you don't tell any anybody don't shouldn't tell you you know, try, trying to play it down because that's that's what your pain and hurt. And if you don't talk about it, um, it's going to continue. It's like a cancer that that you hold inside and it just eats at you. And it takes years. And that was so unbelievable. Their strength that I mean, we the kids after said people think we rehearsed that. They didn't. The day before we really sat down and I said, well, I mean, we we're so busy sewing our cuss bucks and getting ready and trying to make our own money to come in to Fairbanks and um, I said well we we need to to read it and go over it and I just stood there and was was in shock and it was like good for you and Jody what was your position at the time you were involved in um, law enforcement and just uh, hearing this and thinking back go ahead and share your thoughts 
<clears throat> when the youth spoke at um, AFN in 2013, the youth of Tanana, it was just a very powerful and pivotal moment in this movement of trying to break the silence, to break the, um, the cycle of abuse and violence in our communities. And um, those youth really inspired so many people to speak up and to stand up and, you know, um, at the time, I was uh, a village public safety officer and the coordinator for Tanana Chiefs Conference. And so um, I often traveled to Tanana and um, I formed a relationship with Cynthia and those youth. And, you know, every time I traveled to any village, one of my favorite things to do was to visit schools and talk to kids. And, you know, I always wanted to be the person and, and, and the bridge between law enforcement and our, and our communities, especially our children, because so many of them don't know who are trusted adults to speak to. And so I wanted to make sure that they always knew they had someone, you know, anyone in uniform that they can trust with telling their story or, or someone else, another trusted adult in their family, you know, in their family or friends. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was a really powerful moment, and um, there was a lot of both uh, negative and positive feedback at that time, and that was what was very, very interesting to see. So many people were, you know, perpetrators felt threatened, rightfully so, <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, you know, those kids inspired so many, and um, they also received a lot of support, and, um, you know, I believe a lot of those kids, you know, Part of the thing is when we tell our stories, um, it's healing. And I think those kids are just, there's a lot of them are still doing just so awesome, you know, and it's been healing for them. And um, they've also inspired a, another generation with their uh, courage and bravery. So. And Cynthia, um, what, where are those kids today? Are, how are they doing today? Well, several of them are here. Um, Natani's doing the Emerging Leaders. Um, so they're they're all um, they're all doing good, you know. Like any youth in our communities, we all struggle. Um, some of them are struggling, and it's hard because um, you know it's hard to deal with so much issues. And where do you go to get help? And a lot of the issues, like today, with mental health, um, it, which is which is huge, but we're really not addressing. Um, it, it's a, an ongoing struggle. You know, and where do you go? Where do you um, get help? A lot of times in the villages, they'll come out and, um, you know, once a month or sometimes they Skype with, you know, talking with counselors and stuff. But um, they're doing really good. They're, they're really um, becoming leaders of our community. And how about the overall community as a whole? Have you seen things change? I asked the kids when they asked uh, for them to present at AFN the second time, and I said, I want you to think about, you know, what, it's not up to me, it's up to you, but I want you to put your heads down and think about um, this last year, what has changed. And uh, they put their heads down for a long time, and then they kind of popped up all one, two, three, and then they put their hands up and said two zeros. And I said, no, that's not right. You're changing. Are you going to hit? Are you going to hurt? Are you going to rape? Are you going to drink? Are you going to do drugs? And they're like, no, no, no. I mean, you're the change. That, that's the thing is, is the, I believe the change is with our children, our youth. That's the foundation. And we're only as healthy as our children that are walking on the street. 
and right now we're not very healthy. Um, so it's a struggle for them. And I told them, you know, 56 or whatever age I was, it, it's taken this many years. We never saw this growing up in Ruby. We never saw suicide. We never ever really heard of rape and abuse. There was no um, medevacs. There was no only the elders died. It, it's changed. And so it's going to take 50 years. And when you're, you know, the new mayors. I mean, look at, we just had uh, Darlene Olin Martin and Ninana. She's like, I think 19 years old and she's voted in on the city council. And if you want to change, you need to step up to the plate. You need to get out there. And if you're in a toxic environment, emancipate yourself. We have a young girl at home that, that was just tired of her situation. And I always tell the kids, divorce your family. You have options, get out, get away from it. And Jody, have you seen any changes in law enforcement and leadership? Well, I think that's one of the challenges that we definitely face. Um, you know, uh, getting a really um, a, a rapid response to some of these uh, reports of crime and violence and, and, and everything um, is is one of the first steps of um, breaking the, the the cycle. And you know, while a lot of things are on the responsibility of our community to, you know, affect change, we also, there are things that community members are not trained and equipped to handle. And we definitely have a huge shortage of law enforcement in Alaska. Mm -hmm. um, and right now, um, there are only 38 VPSOs um, throughout the state of Alaska. It's a really tough position. It's hard to recruit people from within the community. Um, and there's also a shortage of troopers. Um, funding was cut in this last uh, fiscal year with our new governor, and so that's been extremely challenging. Um, hopefully there will be some change. The feds have kind of come in and bailed out the state of Alaska under the responsibility to provide public safety in this PL-280 state. Um, and so we are hoping that the federal funding that um, Barr has been very uh, generous with will help between the CACs, between public safety funding. Um, we're hoping to see change. So it's a it's a twofold. Some some change comes from within the community, but other change comes from within having um, a uh, a response to these criminal acts, you know, with law enforcement. And so um, there's there's definitely some challenges there. And that's uh, Attorney General um, Barr, Barr. Who, who announced some funding um, here at the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention for um, the justice system here in Alaska. Um, can you explain what you mean by bailout, like the feds helping bail out the state? Well, you know, how I see it, um, the, the state... Uh, the state wanted criminal jurisdiction in uh, rural Alaska among tribal communities. And they still very much want to have that criminal jurisdiction, um, but they have never properly funded to have a best practices and an adequate law enforcement or public safety uh, services delivered to rural Alaska or tribal communities. And so in all these years, the funding has uh, constantly been cut. Um, the uh, program that serves rural Alaska does not operate on best practices um, and uh, there's just a, it's inadequate service you know and our, our communities feel it our tribes feel it 
Um, and most definitely victims feel it, especially women and children. And so when there's no one in your community to report to, and you report, and then there's no one to keep you safe while they're doing an investigation. I mean, I remember the first time I ever went to Tanana was because there was a sexual assault a year before, and they were waiting. They had the woman reported. She, she, every, all the steps went the right way. But it was a year later, and they still had not got the DNA from the rape kit. And the backlog was so long. Supposedly the backlog is now between four and six months, but still that's far too long when there's a perpetrator and you're in fear for your life because he's still in the same you know, community of 200 people. And you might run into him at the store, he could easily break into your house and there's no one there to protect you. So that's another challenge and that's why we do need more law enforcement in these communities. And the state of Alaska, I feel like, had not met their responsibility. And I know our communities feel that way. And so now the feds came in and in a sense, I feel like it was the feds are now bailing them out of their responsibility by funding it properly. And Cynthia, um, talking about the federal government, um, you know, we did, the attorney general did travel to Alaska and see um, some communities firsthand. Do you think that'll help because of, you know, the mm -hmm. disconnection between local tribal state and the federal government? Do you think mm -hmm. having top officials in the federal government that have trust in treaty responsibilities, well, well, for here, mm -hmm. uh, for have that trust responsibility for tribes here, um, do you think that that helps seeing it firsthand? Oh yeah. I mean, when you're when you're on the outside looking in, um, you don't you kind of have a tidbit of it but when you come in and you go to all these villages and and see all the issues and the urgency but uh, a lot of times I mean it's nice to have the money for education and for law enforcement um, and especially like the backlog with the rape kits that's so frustrating I mean when you have to live in the village with or even Fairbanks it's a big village and you you see them you go to NYO, you go to WIO, you go to AFN, and you see the predators, and it's very, very frustrating for years and years to to have um, nothing happen. But money does help, but we have to get the programs that are working. We have a lot of money going into a big black hole, and there's no accountability and sustainability. I was just um, talking with Emily, and I said there's you know, you can send kids to all this. You can send all of your um, tribal, you know, workers and counseling and behavioral health, but we have to have follow-through. We have to have, you know, a plan, 30 days, if you're going to go to elders and youth, you know, meet with the youth, 60 days, the adults in your community, 90 days, ha have a goal. By, by the year, have, you know, have something... Uh, planned and, and working but um, you know money does help but like I said we we didn't have money when we were growing up we had our community we had people and aunts that were chasing kids home and grandmas that um, were holding their sons accountable so it's frustrating with the money that we've had and the misuse of funds and um, no sustainability but it it really helps to have you know, the big dogs coming in and seeing what's happening on the inside. And hopefully that we will get um, a plan in place to help for the future. 
And Jody, can you explain a little bit, um, because tribes here are different than the lower 48 when it comes to the trust and treaty responsibilities, so is how, how does it work with the federal government when they um, come in and, and have these promises to tribes in Alaska? Okay, so um, in Alaska, uh, our tribes didn't have uh, treaties with um, the federal government. There was the Alaska Native Land Claim Settlement Act. Um, and from that, we have native corporations that got the, the land and it's in fee simple and it's corporate land and we are shareholders of that corporation. And so it's much different. So that eliminated the possibility of having Indian country. Um, and so, um, and with that, we do have tribes we have 256 tribes, I believe, in the state of Alaska. I always get that number mixed up. But um, those tribes uh, don't have um, Indian country. They don't have actual land base, but we're tribal members of uh, a village. And those villages, um, every village is under uh, a public law 280. And so um, public law 280 is a federal um, law that has six states that have give the state criminal jurisdiction versus tribal and Alaska applied for that um, as a result of uh, both the FBI and Alaska state troopers arriving in a village at the same crime scene and were fighting over who had jurisdiction of the sexual assault and so Alaska wanted that jurisdiction um, and so that's the difference so um, the state uh, wants criminal jurisdiction and they also um, need to provide the adequate funds and they need to make sure that the service is delivered in each of these communities and um, the model that they use the hub and spoke model where people respond from a hub city or a hub community out to a village there's too much of a delay especially in crimes such as sexual assault there's a lot of logistical and um, other challenges with weather distance and things like that and so um, a new model using these funds for a new model of service delivery would be ideal and it would really benefit victims for sure and Cynthia where do you see the needs I think you know just for me it's it's back backyard back roots you know home it, it really is I mean we need funding for education we need funding for mental health you know we need a certain amount of money but it has to start within us within our homes within our village you know if you don't like what's going on start speaking up right now more than ever that I've I've never seen just so many um, people that are there you know there's there's more and more um, uh, empowering the youth you know there's there's the care line number there's um, the suicide hotline number so there's there's more resources and and i tell the kids you know you you are the change i mean that's that's what's going to happen um and we need to um also when there's uh, you know rape or domestic violence sexual assault or whatever we we have to follow through we have the vpos come vpso's come in we have troopers come in but the charges they'll drop and it's just a continued cycle so if we don't empower the children and and tell them you know stand up and speak don't let it happen don't you know you're not going to be abuser you have to start today to speak up and it's, it's hard because you you're called to be a witness you know i don't know how many times my husband and i are like you know we look at each other well 
you know, we're going to have to go to court. You know, we're going to have to be a witness. And a lot of people don't want to. And a lot of times it's your family. That, I mean, probably 90% of that is against your own fathers, your grandfathers, your mothers, your aunts, your uncles, your brothers, your cousins. And we all really are directly and indirectly related. So it's hard to take on your family. And that's the main thing is, is I always tell the kids, and probably 90% of it is your family. And, um, but you know what? If they loved you, they wouldn't be hitting your mom. If they loved you, they wouldn't be um, taking your dividends and going to town and not bringing you food and warm, warm uh, winter clothing. And it, it's it's a tough call, but I, I think you know things are changing. And you're listening to Alaska's Native Voice, and we are here at the Carlson Center in Fairbanks. And this week, there are a number of activities that are um, involving the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention, which kicked off on Thursday. And prior to that was the Elders and Youth Conference, which is a three-day event held right before AFN. And AFN continues through Saturday. And a lot of the issues that delegates are here to discuss and include public safety and um, the criminal justice system and, ad and addressing some of the social ills that we're talking about today. But there's also a number of grassroots efforts. There was um, a big demonstration outside the Carlson Center yesterday that was for climate and it also involved uh, missing and murdered indigenous women and Native Lives Matter and had grassroots uh, members of, the com of communities not only here in the interior but other places across Alaska talking about this issue. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice from the Carlson Center in Fairbanks. I'm Antonia Gonzalez, and today we're talking about public safety um, in Alaska and some of the issues involving missing and murdered indigenous people and uh, just the justice that families are looking for um, their missing relatives and also justice for their murdered relatives. And we're talking a little bit about violence um, in the community. And I do wanna just uh, make our audience aware that this is a tough and sensitive topic and the, in the conversation, some of the voices you're hearing today may trigger emotions. And I have two guests um, joining me today, uh, Cynthia Erickson and Jody Potts. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. And right before the break, we were talking, um, we started off the show talking about the young people 
uh, standing up a, a few years ago and calling on the community to help address violence and substance abuse and some of the contributing factors um, that lead up to uh, missing and murdered indigenous people. So we want to talk a little bit about some tribal leaders. Tribal leaders have also been standing up and talking about this um, in 2013 after the Tanana group of kids shared their stories of abuse at the Alaska Federation of Natives annual convention. Uh, Native leader Rob Sanderson, who's from um, Southeast Alaska, was talked about it and we have his response. We cannot keep coming up here year after year, continue, continuing to say that the numbers are rising. We must draw a line in the sand at the local level. People, please, for those of you that live in your communities, Call out the people that hurt our women and children. Don't be afraid. Step up to the plate. Sanderson is from Ketchikan, and he's also Alaska's representative to the National Congress of American Indians. Um, he spoke with producer Emily Schwing that he and other men in his community are starting to, to talk more and taking a traditional approach to healing by using uh, traditional methods. We just start talking amongst ourselves, and we just start going up to the rec center at certain times when we know it'd be quiet and when on our days off we'd go up there and take sweats and bring the eucalyptus and just start talking. Has know? it made a difference for you? It's made a difference for me and How so? for my How? friends. Well, you know, it, 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 I'm not the only one that's ever been there before, you know. Uh, there's a lot of us that grew up uh, fishing in southeast Alaska that used to drink a lot, you know. Uh, and for me, mine was just got tired of being sick and tired, being out on the boat. And uh, I know it might be a little bit off base, but going back to the sweats, you know, you come to find out that people are more open to talking about their hurtful past once you start becoming friends and they reach out to you and they start touching. It's something that just didn't happen. It, it was a process, you know. And we didn't even know we were doing it ourselves, you know. It just it just came to be, you know, over you know, months and years of doing that. And that was uh, Rob Sanderson, who is a leader in Southeast Alaska and also a rep to the National Congress of American Indians. And we do see men speaking up on this issue and talking about also missing and murdered indigenous people. Um, Jody, your response? Um, yeah, I have seen more and more tribal leaders um, uh, speak up on this issue and take a stand and really challenge other men in our communities and among our tribes to, instead of being the perpetrators, they need to be protecting the women and children of their communities. Another example of that is um, Chief Victor Joseph, so Joseph of the Tanana Chiefs Conference. Um, I think two years ago at our annual convention, every year one of the openings is youth speaking, our emerging leaders um, give their speeches, and a lot of them are touching on the same topics. Just like uh, Cynthia had said, um, it's uh, youth speaking out about the, the alcohol, drugs, and the sexual abuse in the communities, and they share their experience, and it can be very emotional, you know, and these youth need a lot of support, and they're begging for change, and, um, you know, I never forget when after these youth spoke, when Victor, got up and it was just a very powerful emotional moment when he um, really called out the men in our uh, among our tribes to uh, do better to do better and to protect the women and children and um, no more hurt and so um, I'm seeing a lot more of that 
um, that's part of the healing. That's part of breaking the cycle. Um, and again, like sharing our stories, you know, is super important. So I do see a movement. I see a lot more support for this kind of thing. Um, you know, the, the, the old, you know, you know, hush, hush, uh, kind of, um, problem is now kind of dissipating. And so that's really encouraging. So, yeah. And Cynthia, your thought on men being more involved um, in speaking up and being leaders on violence and other issues when it comes to sexual abuse? It really is um, a need. And it's hard because, um, you know, a lot of single, there's a lot of single mothers and grandmothers that are raising. Uh, there is a void. Um, but I, be I believe, like I said, there is, the, we're opening the dialogue and, and we're starting to talk. We need um, men to talk about their trauma and what happened. And um, I had one of the boys on our healing journey. You know, he has 13 brothers and sisters and they're scattered all over and he's, he's you know, lost and he needs, he needs a father figure in his life. He needs someone to, to help him, to encourage him. And um, a lot of the issues that are plaguing the men, it's hard to talk about. You're the hunter, you're the gatherer, you're the leader. And, you know, women talk and they, it eventually comes out. But like now, I mean, probably 90% of the, the young boys and men that have committed suicide have been molested. And it's not bringing, it's not being talked about. That they carry that hurt just as bad and hard and it's so stressful for them to keep that secret. And uh, my cousin finally told me and he was a grown man and he had said, you know, remember when I did this and remember when I did that? And I said, yeah, you were a little punk. And he said, I was molested by an older woman growing up and he was 45 years old. And I said, you need to speak, you need to, we need that because that's hidden the agenda. And we really need more men to stand up and bring that out and start healing. And, and a lot of times the issues that they deal with, with uh, alcohol and drugs and abuse is just, it's a bandaid over the pain. And, and our leaders really, you know, we can say you need to stand up, you need to do this, you need to do that, but it comes from within. Um, breaking the silence. And we did have a uh, uh, male from uh, Bristol Bay region, Wally Gust, uh, who AFN leadership called his words yes on Thursday groundbreaking when he stood up. And we speak of women being hurt by men. I'm coming out of my comfort zone to say it. What about us men who've been hurt when we were younger? Yeah. Don't you think that's the driving force of what we've become? Us men, I, I know I'm not the only man that's been hurt by an older person. You know? I know I've been hurt physically. That's easy to talk about. But what I'm getting at is the sexual stuff. You know, I've been hurt. And I've carried this on because I've been told not to talk about it. 
And I thank you, I commend you that even us men have to come out and start working together if we're going to help our youth. And, and uh, that's, you know, it's just emotional to hear those words coming, especially for someone to have the courage to get up um, before the AFN convention. Um, Jody? You know, um, one of the one of the biggest um, issues with this kind of problem is the shame that the victims hold, and it and it's so hard for victims to speak about it. I only recently um, spoke publicly about um, the violence I endured at the age of 13, and um, it was something that I had never shared because of who I am and what I represent. And I realized, you know. If anyone should tell about their story, it should be me, you know. And, um, you know, it's a part, when, when victims share like that man, it shows his resiliency, and that's really inspiring and provides hope for so many others. And there are more men that are telling their story, especially men in leadership. I've seen them talk about this. Um, but, you know, when you look back at this, when did this all start? Cynthia earlier had mentioned that that never, that this was never a problem. You know, and my mom talks about that. It was never a problem. And I think about um, when Alaska um, was a territory and as missionaries followed uh, explorers and miners up here, there was a, a how Alaska um, was kind of developed um, was missionaries and different denominations and different churches got different parts of the state and they kind of had boundaries that they got these villages and this group of church people got these villages. You know, and um, I remember talking to a trooper that I worked with, and he worked in a part of Alaska where um, there's a river and there's two villages on each side of the river, and the, the river was the boundary between two denominations of church missionaries. And one village had almost 100% male-on-male sexual abuse, and the other village had very little sexual abuse compared to this other, you know? And when I think about um, some of the things that have been coming out about um, sexual abuse in, in certain churches, and I'm not saying this to cut down any religions or churches, you know, hurt people hurt people. And, and I really see that um, historical trauma is really um, uh, to blame here, you know? And, um, you know, our people, um, people that have been sexually abused in these situations um, uh, try to numb the pain, like we said before, with alcohol and drugs. And then, you know, a lot of the times, I can't tell you how many times in cases I've been involved in over the years of child sexual abuse where the perpetrator was once a child victim themselves, you know, and it's a learned behavior. And it's, um, I think... Um, Getting ahead of this problem is multifaceted. You know, like Cynthia mentioned before, you know, we need uh, a lot of counseling in these communities and healing and, and these kind of things. There's a definitely beyond just a lack of law enforcement. There's also a lack of uh, mental health resources in our villages that are readily available. And our, our regional health corporations are doing their best to, to manage this, but um, you know, between mental health and healing and law enforcement and all of these things, um, I think we can get ahead of this problem. But and also, you know, with our brave tribal leaders that are speaking up and uh, telling their stories as well. Cynthia, I commend the guy for standing up. I know how hard that is, and um, I think by him, you know, it, it's paving the way for other young men to stand up and. 
it's an epidemic. I mean, if you put an M on everybody that's been molested, um, it the world does not have a clue of. And why aren't we addressing it? Why don't we talk about it? I mean, because it's family, because you're you're bringing out the secrets. But you know, the men need to step up. We need more mentors. These kids are crying for healthy leaders. And by them, like Victor, you know, we need to talk about this. We need, you know, yesterday I talked, where are the men? And stop talking and start doing and start following through. These children need us. And, and like I keep saying over and over, we're only as healthy as those children. Those are our leaders. And we need to start uh, having the fathers and the grandfathers and you know, you're, like Anna Sattler was, say, Sattler was saying, if it's your son, you report him. And I tell my boy, you, you ever hit a girl, you ever speak down to a woman, I don't care if you're 50 years old, I'm going to grab you by the ear and we're going to get help or if you hit a woman, I'm going to turn you in. That's, we have to, to enforce tough love. And we have to be holding our sons and daughters and grandchildren accountable. If they're out on the streets uh, playing at midnight, if they're in the river swimming without a life jacket, you know, we have to, you know, it, we've, we've just, our children are raising themselves. The lights are on in no one's home. And we really need uh, desperately, last week, we need role models, we need strong leaders to walk their talk. I, I, I really, um, it's a struggle because, like I said, it's taken 50 years to get here and we all have trauma. And no matter where you are, I mean, I tell the kids, you think the Kardashians or the Kennedys are healthy and happy. No, they, they have, they have, everybody has trauma and it's, it's hard to speak, but once you do, you start healing and you have to start talking about it and, and do it in a, in a good way, not blame. You know, it's, I've heard that so much. It's blame, 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 but take responsibility. I mean, there's a certain amount of history that we all have, um, have to deal with, but there's no excuse to beat your wife or your girlfriend. And it's getting younger and younger. I mean, the kids are, I deal with girls that are with their boyfriends that are um, dealing with being possessive and being abusive and stalking and hitting and verbal abuse is just as bad as physical abuse. You know, when, when she's told she's worthless and you're dumb, you can't do anything, you're nothing without me and it's hard. So it's gonna take all of us. It really is, and, and I'm just so happy for the guy to stand up yesterday and uh, and empower our youth that are um, heard his message. And uh, Jody, you had mentioned um, historical trauma, colonization, and just not here in Alaska, you know, and lower 48, and just the resilience of our indigenous people. Indigenous people are so resilient. And so part of the healing, how is culture and, you know, going back to traditional ways, how is that part of healing? And especially for tough, tough issues that we've been discussing today. 
I think um, our culture and our traditional values are our greatest strength. The more our people get out on the land, um, the more we engage in our culture, the more we teach our young children, the more we're together with our families as we traditionally always were, um, is part of our healing movement. And so um, I know just within my own family, uh, we've, we've been through some really um, difficult challenges within our family and our greatest um, moments of healing were when we were out on the land and we were practicing our culture. And so um, I think that that has really been kind of taking root in our communities. We're having more culture camps and within those culture camps, you know, um, education and healing and these healing circles. And so I really think that there are a lot of good people in our communities as well that are really trying, that are really trying to uplift each other, to try, trying to um, instill more of our culture into these healing movements, you know. And so um, I do see resiliency despite all the problems there sti that still exist. You know, there are glimmers of hope. You know, we have strong leaders like Wally and his courage and bravery to speak up and, you know, so many others. Um, and so, you know, that's, I think, I think that's going to be what um, really gives us the most healing is, you know, strong leaders and our, our traditional values and culture. And uh, Cynthia, through Grandma's house, um, you do a lot of healing with the young people. Tell us about some of the trips you take um, some of the youth on to help in that healing process. One of the things uh, uh, to Jody's, I, th I really think, you know, the lot of uh, the problems is, is loss of identity, identity crisis, and bringing these kids and uh, going to pick berries and making jam. They're so proud of themselves and cutting fish, and even if the little ones are stuffing fish in the jars or peeling garlic or, you know, going for a walk and you know, just playing games and being together. I think, you know, with the youth, uh, they they feel so proud of themselves. And I think any time that we can take the kids and do things, simple things, and I always say it doesn't take money. I mean, a lot of times money is part of the problem. I do a lot with the kids with just games and picking up beach glass and picking berries, and it's simple. And they enjoy that. Um, and that's a lot with the, my grandma's house. Um, you know, in the name, that's my grandma. The grandmas are raising the children. That's love, I would say. It's moo soup and fresh bread. And the, their feeling of a place of happiness. And um, my grandma's house kids, and people don't understand. They think, well, you know, I started this nonprofit that we have. Well, is it? you do this and you have all these places and villages and I'm like no it's me in my home in Tanana on the computer it's a it's a cyber hug you know it's through the internet it's really it's when you have how many villages in Alaska and I talk with kids and my husband's always like turn your phone off and I'm like literally put the gun down no today is a bad day tomorrow is better and walking them through it you know Who's uh, your neighbor? Who can you talk to? Is there a teacher? Is there someone at the clinic? You know, giving them resources in their community. When you're in Tanana, and I'm talking to somebody in Hooper Bay or Napakiak or Tuntatuvia or Huslia, you know, it's all over, and it's just encouraging um, the kids to 
start in their homes. If you don't like something, speak up. Um, talk to somebody. Um, you know, doing things with other children in your village. You're, you know, you're 16 years old, but you're alcohol and drug free and mentor other children. And when you see someone hurting, you know, reach out and talk to them. It's, it's tough when it's only one. I do have really good family and friends that support us and are willing to go out and talk and help. And the healing journeys, uh, we started last year. Um, I had 12 kids, uh, Nupiak, Athabaskan, and Yupik, and again, like uh, other kids that spoke at AFN, uh, wrote their own stories, and I told them, you write from your broken heart. You write what, what do you want to change, what hurts, what do you cry about at night, and you don't worry about what other people, if other people had a problem, then they should have stepped up to the plate 10 years ago when they knew you were being abused or what was going on in your family. Um, but we, uh, not this summer, the summer before, um, we had, excuse me, um, went from, we had a walk in Fairbanks and um, we went Fairbanks, Minto, Manly, Tanana, Ruby and Galena with all of these kids and they um, told their own story and it was amazing. I mean, people were just gathered around. People were crying and people, Lois Huntington and was just standing there with tears in her eyes and she said, this is, this is us. These are us. This is our children. Agnes Huntington and Sweetser and Galena, you know, she said, you know, I was uh, sexually abused growing up as a child and um, I empower these children for standing up and speaking, but this is, this is us. This is all of our communities and we need to support the children. Um, we need to be there for them. It was, it was tough, you know. Again, when you're bringing out issues that no one wants to talk about, and and then we were wanted to go from Galena on down to the mouth, and then there were a lot of suicides on the highway and uh, issues that came up on the highway. So we got redirected, and we went Fairbanks um, on the highway. You know, all the villages, Toke and Tetland came over, and. Uh, Dot Lake, Healy Lake, uh, nor all the way down to Northway, and uh, the kids spoke, and um, it was just, it was really um, Healy, not only for all of the kids, but the communities, and it, again, the, the kids are just sitting there just in awe, and the kids went, I told them, you go out and you hug the kids and you talk to them, and that's what they did, was just socializing with the kids and, um, and uh, talking about their issues. And Jody, talk about how important grassroots efforts um, like Cynthia's and other grassroots efforts are in this movement. Yeah, grassroots um, efforts are is definitely essential to um, helping bring solutions to the table. Um, there's a lot of um, and people and voices that just don't have the um, <clears throat> maybe the. Uh, the elected position or a place to get involved and <clears throat> these grassroots um, uh, organizations and initiatives really are helping bring more awareness they're working on advocacy um, and things like that so definitely like the missing and murdered indigenous women issue went from very little uh, awareness to a great awareness now to the level of um, uh, you know, our uh, congressional delegation and um, 
to include funding for uh, for more um, uh, investigations towards this cause. And so that's super essential. And a lot of this was really grassroots led. It's people like, you know, that <coughs> lost someone that are, are sharing those stories, you know, and, you know, I always just have to remember um, my Auntie Ellen was who was murdered here in Fairbanks um, seven years ago and just how that devastated our family. And, um, you know, I, I pressured the police every single day, like, do not let this go. I'm in law enforcement. I know how investigations go. Have you done this? Do this next. You know, and I was just, I was probably getting on their nerves. But, um, you know, that really, that experience really is what... Um, kind of drove me to get involved with this because there was really no justice in that case. Police did a great job, murder in the second degree, arrested the man, but it was at the prosecution level where she was a bad victim and they didn't want to take it to trial. And that was unfair, you know? And so um, sharing that story um, and, and working on this cause, you know, a lot of us bring our experiences in the grassroots arena, you know? And, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of passion there's a lot of knowledge and, and our experiences are really what drive us. And so um, I think it's definitely making a difference for sure. Mm. And Cynthia, what would you like to see for the future? I just pray for every day that, that the children will make a difference. And, and like I said, it's not gonna happen overnight. This is a good start. And we just have to empower our youth. And I tell them, you know, you're, you're gonna be a good daddy. You're gonna be a good mommy. You're gonna spend time. You're not gonna abuse. You, you are the change. And I say that over and over again, that we, that's, that's the only thing that we can do is try to love them and be there for them and encourage them, you know, to be good leaders and to start calling out people and hold people accountable, including your own family. And that's the only, um, thing I tell the kids is that you're the leader of tomorrow you're the next mayor you're the tribal you're and if you don't like it then you have to go out and vote and like Darlene and Ninana you know that's a young girl Nolan Aloysius in Galena he's a awesome young mayor that's a awesome dad and he's he's bringing bringing hope he's bringing youth and he's bringing energy um, I'm, I'm excited about um, what's happening in our communities well, I want to thank you both for joining us today and on your work on this issue and also just, um, you know, the, the AFN convention. There are a lot of resolutions on public safety and justice, and we'll see where that goes forward. And I just want to, again, thank you for being here today, uh, Jody Potts and Cynthia Erickson. You've been listening to Alaska's Native Voice. We are at the Carlson Center on the second day of the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. We'll have another show for you on Saturday. Tune in. I want to thank our producer, Emily Schwing, and our board operator, Lauren Dixon. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. AFN, Alaska's Native Voice, produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez and Emily Schwing. Major support provided by 
Arctic Slope Regional Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, ConocoPhillips, the Siri Foundation, ExxonMobil Alaska, South Central Foundation, Manilak Association, Chalista Corporation, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Cook Inlet Lending Center, and Foundation Health Partners. This is a production of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.